We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 371, the last regular season show of the year. Yankees, boy, what a road trip to cap this season off. How, how about that, Scott? Yeah, it's like it doesn't it doesn't even matter. It didn't even happen. I mean, I will never remember these games in Texas for as long as I live. So, I mean, I'm halfway watching. Oh, you're any not going to remember anyway, the so. final games at the ballpark in Arlington. They're they're pretty. When you brutal. tell they're... your grandkids about the final games that you watched at the ballpark in Arlington, the stadium that was around for 20 whole years, that you will. I took one of I the totally greatest stadiums. They were getting a new one. I forgot that they were getting a new one until I saw these. Why are they making such a big deal out of this? Oh, that's right. They're moving to a new ballpark. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many other ballparks that are teams that are looking around like, wait a minute. Why are these these guys getting a new one already? Did you see the it's, renderings? Uh, a while ago. I haven't seen them recently again, though. They look pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. And there's a yeah. dome, 
which I think for Texas is going to come in it's handy. It's probably a good idea. Come in handy yeah, in the summer. And I know John and Susan were excited about that. I was listening to some of the the broadcast on Sunday afternoon, and they were they were saying they were complaining about the heat. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, why would why would why would you not? But uh, they won't have to complain about that anymore. Yeah, the Texas heat. That's that's good. Let's uh, let's let's get them back there so that they can take uh, take advantage of the air conditioning. It's not hot for for uh, king and queen. That's 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 a, a good thing. Speaking of, yeah, this is a special episode. Speaking to of cap something off the on the back end season. of this episode. Yeah, something on the back end of this episode. Uh, I was able to. We kind of teased it last last episode, but I was able to speak with John Sterling for about 30, 35 minutes, and um, so you know had a. Had an interesting conversation. It was a it was a good, fun conversation with him. I was really just asking some simple questions and letting him go. Um, yeah. I didn't want to talk too much. I didn't want to interject because you're not allowed the man tells stories. to interrupt the man, the myth, the legend, John. No, Stone. no, I, I I was trying to be as respectful as humanly possible. Have you listened to him on the broadcast since you talked to him? No. So that's going to be, I think, a little weird for you because you're gonna now you have like a deeper connection to John Sterling. So every time you hear his voice now, you're gonna be like, I, I talked to that man about baseball. I'm gonna be very I'm gonna be very honest. When I was talking to him, it almost sounded it almost felt like I was listening to the radio. Of course, yeah. So I don't know if I have that 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 connection because it felt so strange to me while I was talking to him and he was answering these questions. But you know, it's a lot of the I was even trying to find questions that hadn't been asked at least in a while or he hadn't spoken about. But, you know, he's got so many stories that are just programmed in his brain uh, that are tremendous stories well, that it's like I was listening to him on the radio. Again, that's so. that makes sense, though, what he's doing with this new podcast, which I find it. I find it kind of hilarious that John Sterling has a podcast, first of all, like. You like, should you do, wait till you listen. Wait till you hear. Wait till you hear him plug the podcast. Who it's, convinced it's him? It's tremendous. Who convinced him? Who sat him down in a room and explained podcast to him first of all? And then nope, that didn't that didn't happen. <laughs> that didn't happen. And nope, convinced have, we, him to we, do We got one the of story. These. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, we I got the story. Wait to hear this interview. That that is a um a good way to end this. We find out who who the person was, where they're from. And uh, and and what they hope to get from this podcast. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I mean, you know the telling listening to John Sterling tell stories about baseball and just pretty much anything, but baseball specifically. You know, it's not all Yankees baseball too. I mean, there, he he goes into other uh, other facets of the game and other players who didn't play with, for the Yankees. But you know, it's just I I think that is just wholehearted. That's good entertainment. Kick up. Wait till uh, you know it gets nice and cold out. Build a fire and listen to listen to listen to Mr. Sterling talk about baseball. All right, so can't get any better. We've than that. got a lot to get through on this episode. We're going to do awards, season wrap-up stuff, some mailbags, and of course the Sterling interview. But playoff ticket update quickly. Yeah, so the all the T-shirts have gone out. They're all they're all uh, most most of them have already arrived. I'm seeing a lot of uh, the tracking numbers and seeing people put them up on on uh, social media. So that's cool. I'm glad they're they're getting around. Um, so if you do not have them, you should have them any, any moment now. And, uh, I'm pumped up about the shirts basically did a, we were kind of, uh, you know, I didn't really say much about them until they went out because they're hard to explain if you don't see them, you know? So I made pinstripes that are in the, behind a, uh, the BP crew logo. And I, you know, have a nice little, little keepsake for the, for the, uh, time and the date of the ALDS game too. Wanted to make that. Uh, something that was apparent on the shirt. And then there's pinstripes behind the circle logo, which are actually formed by all the people that were and have been on the IL this year. 
and then different Yankee phrases that we've kind of all seen and heard this year uh, during the season. So it's kind of like a nice little tie, uh, tie, you know, wrap a bow, wrap, wrap it up and, and, and put a bow on it because this is what the season is. And I want, I want people to always look back at this shirt and remember the things that we overcame, the amount of people that were on this uh, this injured list and and what the this team has overcome because it's truly truly amazing and I, I heard some people say well they're not all the all the the players aren't on the um, on the shirt well that's because it's all the people on the IL and it's symbolic for a reason I think the, the the Yankees have come a long way and that's where we are so t-shirts are out I'm excited for them everybody's uh, pretty excited about those as well um, and we will be Colleen and I are actually going through. Seating assignments and all that stuff are finishing it up tonight and and tomorrow, and we'll have all have all that, and then we'll we'll transfer the tickets probably um, Tuesday or Wednesday, so that everybody has them on their accounts. So that will be finished, done, ready to go, um, and we'll send out a couple more emails just to make sure everybody's updated. If you're not getting emails, we've sent out a few, and you have tickets. Send an email to info at bronxpinstripes.com because you're not getting the emails because we've sent some out. So make sure that you are getting these emails. We want to make sure that you are. Um, if for whatever reason you're not, please email us info at bronxpinstripes.com and let us know that you're not getting the emails um, so that we can fix that. Um, but yeah, we will keep you in the loop. More news about the ALCS though because we have another, I know I'm talking a lot here, but there's a, it's a little different than what we talked about before. Originally, we said that we were going to be selling tickets um, if they clinch to move to the ALCS. Well, unfortunately, that's changing a little bit because we uh, were the Yankees are, are telling us now that we need to commit to these tickets ahead of time. So um, that being said, these ALCS tickets that we have, uh, give or take 200 tickets for games one and game two, home games one, home game two of the ALCS will be going on sale this week. Starting on Tuesday for all people that have come to BP Crew events. And then um, on Wednesday, we will open it up for anybody who's on that mailing list that we have for tickets. And we'll put out another email um, so that you can get on that mailing list. It's not too late to get on the mailing list. Uh, but Tuesday will be the day that we will get uh, everything out for the uh, people who have gone to BP Crew events, including the ALDS. So we'll have more information about, about that uh, coming out in like written form so that you can kind of consume it a little easier, how much the tickets are, what the deal is, but they'll probably go on sale um, you know, around 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Yeah, and quickly about the ALDS event, because I know people have asked uh, in emails and DMs and on social. So we're going to be at Billy's pregame. First of all, we still don't know the, t the time of the game. We know the Yankees are playing the Twins. We don't know what time the game's going to be yet, though. It's probably going to be 4 or 8 p.m. Those are the two games scheduled for that day. We're going to be at Billy's. It's going to be packed. The entire Bronx bar, all the Bronx bar scenes around the stadium are going to be packed. If you want to get into Billy's, my recommendation is get there early. Very early. Get there like three plus hours early to the game if you want to get into Billy's. You don't have to drink the whole time. You can drink the whole time. But uh, if you want to come into the bar and hang out, Scott... Scott and I are going to be there. JJ and Keith are going to be there. Colleen's going to be there. A lot of the other Bronx Pinstripes guys are going to be there. Get there early. Okay. And just quickly on that too. So we're it's it's not like a normal pregame, obviously, because it's a playoff game. It's different. There's just every, there's just more more people at the bars for these I mean, games. You there's, can, there's, I mean, there's always a line at Billy's. There's always a line at the other you're ones. Shoulder so to shoulder, shoulder in the bars in the pregame. Yeah. In, uh, they go so they're games. at capacity. They're at capacity pretty quick. That's why he's saying that. But. Um, that being said, it's not going to be a, a thing where we lay, uh, wait to the last minute to go in either. We're going to be in there well before first pitch mm -hmm. um, so that everybody's in their seats. That's important. The lines are a lot longer in the playoffs. A lot longer. Security Security's is tighter. tighter. So yeah. say the game is at 4 p.m. 
be prepared to be standing in line at like 3.30 to get... Oh, no, but well before that, dude. To get into the stadium. Whatever. It, it, You're not, it's not going to be a half hour. I mean... It took us a half uh, hour for the wild card game last year. It took us like 20, yeah. 20 minutes last year for the wild card You're game. really risking it. I, I'm shooting more towards 3 o'clock. Like, who cares if you're in the stadium a little bit earlier? That's the uh, that's the key. Like if, if I'm gonna probably shoot for about an hour before the yeah. game to go in to get online. Yeah. Okay. So do you care that the Yankees have absolutely laid eggs in Tampa and in Texas uh, in mostly meaningless games? They were still playing for home field advantage with Houston in Tampa. While they were in Tampa, they could have still gotten home field from Houston. Then that died out. They could have still gotten home field from LA if they make it to the World Series and face the Dodgers. Then that died out. So the last game today in Texas means absolutely jack shit. But are you at all worried that they played like crap for the last five games? I mean, obviously you want to see them go into the uh, rather than the win playoffs, duh. but yeah, but yeah, I mean, you, and you want to see the the team go in on a, on a hot streak and uh, and be playing well, but. I just think there was a mental checkout, <laughs> uh, especially after they lost maybe the first game in Tampa. Um, An extra you inning know, game and, yep. that and w- was well-pitched. I, I, yeah. I know we sort of argued back and forth last episode about did they really treat that like a meaningful game while using 11 pitchers. Well, the fact of the matter is they gave up two runs. If you give up two runs in 12 innings, you should be you able should to score three runs and win a game. And they didn't. Absolutely. T- t- but Tampa was playing for something really playing for something. I know the Yankees right. were playing for, quote, something. But Tampa was playing to get in the playoffs. That has more juice than just playing for home field. I, I mean, I understand, I understand the, the whole concept of, of um, you know, having more to play for. And, and the Yankees did have something to play for still at that point. It was still going to be a, a long shot to get home field from Houston, if that's a thing. Looking down the line and, like, playing to, to try to get it from the L.A. Dodgers – is that's a really tall task to try to get up for, to like motivate your players to say, you know what, if we get past these first two series and then we get to the World Series, this is what we're playing for, to be home but field only if the Dodgers win and get to the World Series also. I know, but their goal the entire season has been win the World Series. So if, right. if your goal is to win the World Series, you have to be thinking that far in advance. Yes, I understand that too. So there's, I think there's a lot of different, uh, it, it's just in reality, like we all like to sit back and say, we want them to do, we want them to absolutely go balls out until the end because there is something to play for something, well, meaning home field play. And I think it's a tougher sell to a player because they know, they know differently. They know to a circumstance that's, they, they still want to make sure that they are prepared and, and like healthy and ready to go and, I just I, I think it's it gets in your head. Playing Houston in the ALCS is much more tangible than playing the Dodgers in the World Series at this point, right? Because absolutely, way fewer things have to happen for for the Yankees to face off against Houston. In fact, sure. it's the likely scenario is the Yankees and Houston play in the ALCS. Vegas will will put it on the Yankees and the Houston Astros to be in the ALCS. Yes. So, but you you sort of mentioned like okay, so that they they had something to play for, but it's not really that easy to get motivated for just home field on a I think, on a maybe and I scenario. think motivation's a bad word. Well, I think motivation's a bad word. Okay, but here's I'm not worried that they lost the games necessarily. I'm more worried about the stuff that happened. So they lined up their pitching for Texas to have Paxton, Severino, Tanaka go to get work in preparation for an ALDS a week later. Paxton yeah. leaves with an injury, which does not sound serious. That's the good news. His tight ass doesn't sound serious. But he only <laughs> threw one inning. 
Right. So he didn't get his work in. That's a concern. Severino comes out after looking awesome in his first two outings and can't find the strike zone in the first inning on Saturday night. Okay. Right. So, but rebounds and pitches well for the next two. Does, yes. And then today, Tanaka, who they switched to, an, to a bullpen role, which I found interesting. Weird. I, I just don't – man, this is this – Again, is, this, this is, is the type of stuff I, that I cannot stand. I think they want to test every possible scenario – that could come up in the playoffs. Fine. Okay, that's fine. If they're just mess- if they're just doing that to get Tanaka, but it's also his last This is where know, his, I disagree last, with it. Do it in his last start. game. Do it in his previous start. Why are you doing it in his last one on the season when I don't think that say he's in game 3 of the ALDS, which would be in Minnesota. Also, by the way, Minnesota sneaky almost caught the Yankees. In the wins, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it was a lot closer than... So, is it- we were all like, oh, Yankees are guaranteed to be home in the first round. No problem. Like, it was not that far off where the Yankees would have had to go to the Twins. That's an aside. But we we think Tanaka will be starting Game 3 of the ALDS in Minnesota. Why then, on his last day of the season, in his final tune-up start, final tune-up game, are you not just starting him like normal? Like, do this test previously did they just think of this was Boone and Cashman on the phone on Saturday afternoon being like hey what can we dick around with on Sunday afternoon in the last day of the season oh I know let's have Chad Green open and Tanaka come out of the pen yeah it's a strange thing to to do uh especially in the timing but like you said you know they're they're messing around with different things or at least giving giving Tanaka an opportunity to see what it feels like to come into the game from the bullpen in just a different scenario and, and, and to, to vary yourself. Maybe Tanaka said, yeah, I could use that. Let's, let's give me, start me in the second inning because I'd like to get that, re- that relief feeling, that feeling of coming in in a different way. You know, who knows? Maybe it was brought to him and that was something that he wanted to do as well. Um, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a strange look. It's a strange look. And, you know, <laughs> when the opener, Chad Green, goes in there and, and he does, a run comes across the board uh, when you have an opener, well, Sanchez just, made a throwing error in the first. Time. I understand that, but there's still a run that comes across the board. It just drives me nuts when I'm when I'm seeing with it. Just and, then, and it just it, like I feel like for the opener, if you're getting one inning out of a guy and you're and you're and you're messing around with that and you're making a guy start in the second inning that would normally just start. It's just it, to me is getting too cute, and I know it's worked in the past, and the numbers have supported it over wins and losses. Although again, I'd argue that that really doesn't matter very much. Um, it's just it's just one of those things that you, I, I, it drives me nuts, man, because that's basically saying that you don't think your starting pitcher starting the game has the ability to get out the um, the top of their order well, initially. If Tanaka, if you don't trust Tanaka to get out the top of any order, you're right. you're you're so freaking screwed. Right, like J Hap, fine, I can get on board with that. He's had a bad season. If you, if you don't trust Jay Happ after what you've seen over the course of the entire season, I can at least understand that. But if you're not going to – I know Tanaka struggled too, but you need Tanaka to pitch well. If Tanaka, Paxton, and Severino do not pitch well in the playoffs for the Yankees, they're not going to win a World Series flat out. Right. So – Yeah, no, and that's the thing. And, and if, if we're doing that and Tanaka's coming in in a relief appearance in Game 3 – um, as the uh, as the guy behind an opener, and the opener gives up a home run. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my shit. I'm just telling you right now. I'm gonna lose my freaking mind if the opener does. If they have an opener and he doesn't and he's not flawless. Yeah, 
It's going to drive me crazy. So, so again, the, the losses don't bother me as much as the things that happened on the field. Like, Urshela also leaves with a with an, uh, a lower leg injury today. That was the headline. Lower leg injury. It looks like he twisted his ankle on a play that he was making down the third baseline. Um, he said he was fine. You could read his lips saying, I'm fine. But with Paxton, first of all, the Paxton thing freaked everyone the hell out on Friday night. I have never seen Yankees Twitter be more nervous because there was just no information on what was happening with James Paxton. He leaves. Well, no, that's it's a huge deal. Of and, course, and we're we're all we're all scarred. We're all scared to death of anybody doing anything at this point. And when you see James Paxton, who is your your bona fide number one guy, coming through and who's just like cleaned up the second half of the season. Hell yeah, you're gonna freak out, especially when you don't know what's going on. Why, throwing one inning, the the start before a playoff yeah. game one start probably. Like yes, that's terrifying. But it was funny because then the left tight left glute news came across, yeah, and everyone was just making fun of it, <laughs> like tight ass, tight ass. And it could be serious, right? Like it's something. I mean, look, it's the lower half. Anytime the lower half is, is and it's also his left, in a his negative push off leg. It's, yeah, these are these are not these are not good things when you're when you're talking about uh, a pitcher that generates his power from the lower half. And he didn't look so, good in the first inning, so he had kind of overcome his first inning problems in the second half of the season. But he gave up a two-run home run and a double as well in that first inning on Friday night. And it could have been because he was not getting the same power behind his lower body push off. It could be a number of things. I mean, if you have something down there that's uh, that's that you can feel, you know, I, I think it could throw off your mechanics. It could throw off. Just the different things that you're going through that you're normally used to as far as the, the way that you throw, the way that you feel your body, uh, go through your pitching motions. There's a lot of things that could go, go into play. And yeah, it could, be, it could be something that causes weakness, which doesn't get you that push, which is a bad thing. So that's worrisome, and Urshela's worrisome, and the bullpen not looking great is worrisome. So, so just bad things happen on this road trip that you don't want to yeah. see as the lasting memory before four days off before the ALDS. And also... I mean... It is at the end of the day. Let me let me preference this because you're going down this hole of, of like everything is is bad before the playoffs start. I'm not. I'm and, not. Well, you are. But the the thing that's really what is happening. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I I have a lot of faith in these guys. I have a lot of faith in in the um in in Boone and the way that he's prepared these guys. And I think there's good communication between all of them. So. You know, these things may have been a little different, but I think that they're all on the same page. They understand what they have to do and how they have to get their themselves prepared and ready for this big game that's coming up, this big series. And, you know, as a fan base, I don't want to walk into this looking at the Minnesota Twins and, and think it's the same Minnesota Twins because it's not. It's not the same team. It's a very, very different team than the uh, than we've ever been used to. I know they the same uniforms, but they have a lot of different guys on that team who can play. They can play and they can mash the shit out of the ball. So uh, when you have pitchers that either have a, a pain in the ass or have a problem with home runs, you know, a la Tanaka, then and you're going up against the uh, the other team who's uh, you know th- hit 300 home runs as a team and set records and things like this. That is something to to be worried about. So it's not the same Twins. I want I want there to be a little bit of fear. I want there to be a lot of fear it's in everybody's hard. minds. It's hard to get scared from the Minnesota Twins. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll eat yeah. my words. I've mocked them at number uh, a number of different points this season. I'm not mocking them. I'm I'm not mocking them. They have Ronald Torres also. I don't know if he's going to be on the postseason roster. I don't really. Know. If he's in the club, if he's in the dugout, that's bad enough as far as like karma. 
for you. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that. I really don't. I gotta tell you, I don't. Um, so the one thing I did enjoy watching this weekend was Michael King making his debut. So I was I'm I'm in Rhode Island this weekend, and I was watching the game on Friday night. My sister was watching. So my sister knows Michael King because she's friends with her with his sister. His sister and my sister went to high school together. Michael King went to a different high school, uh, but he grew up in the same town as me. But but she she has she's known him just through the sister. So she was, I didn't realize she knew him that well, but just when like she was watching him pitch, she was like, this is insane. Like I've hung out with him like before. So that's just kind of, kind of a cool thing to, to have those sort of close ties. Not a, not a ton of major league baseball players from Rhode Island. Yeah, well, I don't like the other one that's from Rhode Island too. You keep talking about this, this, but uh, how about that's how about another the other thing guy? that's going to come back? Rocco Baldelli. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to look at some of these Baldelli things. That are, guy. I'm looking at some of these things. The fact that you're getting married in Rhode Island, also during a World Series game, the fact that you're mocking the Twins, and now Rocco Baldelli is the manager, and Ronald Torres is on the team. This is basically going to be your fault if if anything bad happens. Uh, also, pretty much you're the entire blame right now. Uh, also, baseball people from Rhode Island, uh, Joe Madden. Joe Madden. About to get fired. Joe Madden, yep. Uh, Joe Girardi might get that job. And Paul Konerko, born in Rhode Island. Thanks for the tidbits. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. We're going to do awards. And a lot of these are just cut and dry. You know who the award's going to be. This is Team Awards. So we're going to run through these. Who is... I feel like we need a uh, like some production behind uh, behind the like the awards. Like you know how like radio shows will have like drops of like mailbags or award. We need something for the awards. This is the season 2019 season awards. This is a big deal. This people right. care yeah, I'm about not, these. I'm, I'm probably not going to do that. Okay. Who's your MVP? It's uh, it's it's my boy. It's DJ. I wore Lemayhew. this shirt for a reason. I saved Damn it. Right. I saved I made it for a shirt. today's episode. I made a shirt. I designed a shirt for the guy. I uh, I won a bet. He's he's basically paying for my ALDS game one ticket. Um, I look like a uh, a genius again for you know predicting his 20, 20 home runs and then went out and made me uh, even even better and got me that game ticket at twenty five. And he has been the constant, the leadoff guy, hundred RBIs. Yeah, he got to one hundred two on Friday night. The, I mean, the, you look at the numbers and you're and you see that the, that type of production and well, one it speaks to the entire team the fact that they've turned the ro- the lineup over as many times as they have and that pretty much top to bottom everybody, everybody hits. Um, but he's been constant, man. Played everywhere. He's he's he is the epitome of value uh, as far as a, a a player. He his the stats that you see on the scoreboard. He ended with 327, 26 homers, one hundred and two RBIs. I'm a little disappointed he ended the season below 330 because he was over 330 the whole season. He was over 340 for most of the first half. Yeah. So he kind of scuffled in uh, late August, September. But in um, the thing that he, he, we really just were amazed by was his runners in scoring position and high leverage scenarios. High leverage, a 349 batting average, a 373 weighted on base average, and a 134 WRC+. He was an absolute beast in high leverage situations. Yeah, and let's hope that continues because we're gonna need him uh, bouncing out this lineup and making sure that um, and that you know w- hopefully he's up when these high leverage him and uh, and our boy Gio who, who both had really good numbers with runners on scoring position. But yeah, yeah he was you, you can't you can't really put uh, you can't you can't say too many good things about the guy. I mean, one he doesn't talk. 
He just shuts up and, and does his job. He's got a big fat lip in. He goes out there, plays wherever you tell him to go, and just hits the ball. He's old school. I love it. I love the way he plays. Uh, he's been he's been a really a breath of fresh air to come to this team. So I'm really excited he's on this team and that we get to watch him more. Hope the Yankees extend him forever, and then he's he's on this team for the rest of his life. Um, we shouldn't have been surprised by his high leverage performance because I was looking at these when I was looking up these stats. He actually had a better WRC plus last year for Colorado in high leverage situations than he did this year. I think we all knew we were getting a very good player when when DJ LeMahieu no, came we, up. None I, of us expected this. The Yankees didn't expect. No, 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 this. no, no. I mean, yeah, obviously. The let, let me finish what I was going to say. DJ LeMahieu, we all thought he, we all knew we were getting a very good player. We did not realize to what extent this guy would be. We didn't realize that not only was he a uh, a Gold Glove second baseman in the National League, but the man could go around and play everywhere on the diamond. Pretty much everywhere. I wouldn't be surprised if you put him at shorter in the outfield that he would be just fine out there as well. Um, he could play. He could play corner outfields. He he's definitely been a a rock at first base too because there has been some adversity with guys dropping here and there, um, and and whenever they need another guy to fill in, they just slide DJ over there. You know he's been that guy. He's been a really big flexible piece for Boone. And he's probably Boone's favorite player in the world, just because of that reason that you could put him everywhere, and he's, he uh, performs at such a high level. But do you? Th- um, the other thing is like to 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 the to the way that his demeanor was. Like I had no idea what he was like at all. Um, I don't think anybody still knows what he's like. He just doesn't talk. <laughs> That's the thing, though. Like no one knows what he's like, but everyone loves that they don't know what he's like because there's yeah. sort of a running joke on Twitter where there'll be a picture of the team because like Glaber will post pictures or Gio will post pictures of like the team all gathered on the plane and. Uh, DJ's never in the pictures. Like occasionally right. you'll see a white guy in the background just like looking at a book and you're like, oh yeah, that's DJ LeMay who's studying the pitcher for the next night. Yeah, and that's that's what I love. I love him. I love the fact that he just uh he doesn't talk much, just kind of puts his head down and just balls out. And it's it's great, man. And you can tell that the guys love him too. So um, so this really, really happy that he was on the team. MVP, team MVP is a guy they signed in the offseason, and team Cy Young is a guy they traded for in the offseason. That's James Paxton. The first half of the year, it was Domingo Herman. Uh, I'm going to put aside the, the, all the, uh, the stuff going on with Domingo Herman. Just, just talk about on-field performance. He definitely fell off in the second half. He wasn't the same pitcher. And I think he fell out of the trust of the Yankees a little bit to where he was not going to be pitching until game four. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, he, he probably wasn't pitching until game four, especially with, the, with Severino coming back. With um, you know maybe There could have been something with game three potentially, but... Uh, that was it. But even then, you're not jumping Tanaka most likely. So it would have been. It would have been. It was very clear that obviously before all this, the uh, the off the field stuff came into play, that they were setting him up as a um, as a guy that was going to come out of the bullpen in some capacity. Right. Um, and Paxton stepped up huge in the second half. Um, won ten consecutive decisions from August second through uh, September twenty first. That was right after the trade deadline when he picked it up. Over that span. He threw 61 innings to a 2.51 ERA and a 3.27 FIP, and his season stats are 3.82 ERA and 3.87 FIP. Only Yankee starter with sub four numbers in those two categories. Yeah, I mean, th- th- what he did in the second half just makes him very clear uh, the Cy Young because obviously we know what was the biggest controversy this season probably was the uh, it was it was the trade deadline. Brian Cashman. Sat there and and kind of d- didn't do much. He, we had we saw some very low low leverage moods. We saw low leverage. No, moves he did afterwards. nothing to impact the major league team this year. 
Well, I mean, he did afterwards. He he got all these minor league deals that that uh, that impacted the team in some capacity. But um, you know, he worked the system to make sure that he could do that. But no, he did absolutely nothing as far as impact players the way we thought he was going to do. Although he did trade for Encarnacion before the trade deadline, so there were trades that impacted the season. Good point. Um, but the uh, when you're, when you're looking at what Paxton did, he basically shut everybody up. Because what Cashman and the rest of the GM and everybody was saying, we're comfortable with the guys we have. We have two big guys coming back that will be back uh, in in uh, Severino and Batances. Obviously, we know what happened with Batances, but Severino is back. And now you have those two big guys at the top of your rotation. And you're looking at now what, what could have been done, what what is uh, the current situation. And the current situation is not very bad as far as uh, you know what, what you have for the first two guys rolling out. Yeah. So, and that's why... Potentially having lost Paxton on Friday night was terrifying. Yeah. All right. I don't like that. Was that there was an injury to the lower half at all? And and they, I know they were talking about like a nerve. Yeah. There's some kind of a nerve thing. And like you uh, just got to like, get that worked out by like by a masseuse, right? Mm, I don't know. I'll go. I'll play. I'll put my doctor cap back on. I've had sciatica and the uh-huh. the piriformis with the pinched nerve in your ass and goes up into your hip and and. It, if it's some kind of a nerve like that where there's inflammation in a muscle that's pinching the nerve, yeah, you could calm the muscle down to, to release that. But it, And it's something you could play through for sure. But it when it's there, when it's apparent, it's it sucks. You know, it, it, it just – it's not like it hurts that much. It's just – it's like a nuisance that takes away strength. Do you know those, so, those, um, those sort of – And I don't know if it's that, by the way. You know those butt donuts that people have to sit on if they injure their butt by somehow? Yeah. Do you yeah. think he's sitting on one of those on the flight home? Maybe. I think he's got a roller and he's just constantly rolling his ass. How many muscle or injuries? Else, or someone else is rolling his how ass. How many muscle injuries do we have to watch happen this year before the Yankees get better flight accommodations? I mean, if you're looking at how an ass could get tight, bad seating on an airplane. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. Uh, relief pitcher of the year. This one was maybe the one that you could have found someone else, but I think when you look at the numbers, it's it's Araldis Chapman. He was the most consistent relief pitcher for the team all season long. I would yes, he has. I, I think you've you've seen some guys up there um, that that pitch very well all season long. I mean, out of you know, I think he's got tremendous numbers, and I think he's had, he slipped in certain areas, but he's still solid, very solid. I think the other guy that you have to put up there, um, who who really just finished the season off very, very well, is Britain. Britain pitched tremendous pretty much all year long. He was a very, very good, stable um, guy. And did he finish the season under a 2-0? I think he, he, was, he was under a 2-0 uh, ERA. Britain? And, and I th- yeah, I think he finished you'll have, close. To, you'll have to look that I didn't get that. But if you're so ranking the Yankees bullpen by war, it goes Chapman, Adovino, Green and Canely tied, Britain, and then Luis Sessa. That was the order of war. And um, that's not necessarily the order that they've been used in but Chapman 225 ERA 231 FIP less than a half a home run per nine innings which I think is going to be super important in the playoffs other guys have been bitten by the home run we saw Canely get bit by the home run a bunch of times in September I know he had a huge bounce back year but he has a tendency to give up a home run Chapman does not give up as many home runs no, that's that's true. Um, Britain finished with a, uh, I'm looking at baseball reference, a 2.3 WAR, not F WAR, but WAR, and a 1.94 ERA. Yeah, very. You know, he, he was, he was very good. And when you think about Britain, 
this year compared to last year, that I think is what what we could be looking at for Batances. If the Yankees do re-sign Batances, like a guy recovering from an Achilles. Yeah, I don't know what the difference would be because Zach Britton had surgery, surgery. and, and Batances is not. So as far as like He'll be how that's it. going to affect it. Doesn't it, it almost scare you more, though, that it's like... It, yeah, that that area just does fix it, it. It does. It does. It's it's one of those. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those areas of the body, especially for a pitcher, that that does scare me. Um, as far as the uh, something happening again, and Batanzas is a big dude, man. He's he's not a, a normal a normal sized human being. Um, but Britain, I mean, this was something that we've been talking about. We thought that we we potentially he came back really fast from this. From the, I don't know, you know what the timetable normally is, but in my head it seemed like it was pretty quick. Didn't take him from getting six months. surgery on your Achilles and then coming months. back and pitching. Um, but yeah, he was pitching at the major league level, and, and you're looking at what he did. You just got to know that, like as he moves for, forward, as long as we don't have any more diminishing physical uh, problems with him, as far as getting older, that it's gonna you're just gonna get stronger and stronger and stronger from that Achilles. Um, and I, I think that's what we saw. And, and the ground ball percentage again was good. Um, and uh, he was just—he was just very, very solid. Rank the Yankees bullpen in trust the most to trust the least. Well, I think you have to take Chapman out of it, right? Because he's one spot only. Really, he's a closer. No, no, so I want I don't when, even know if who that's you are most comfortable with preventing the other team from scoring. Who yeah. are you most confident to least confident? Okay, um, so I uh, Chapman and and Britton are up there. Top two, I think. And then, honestly, I'm going with Canely third. Over Adovino, even though Canely yeah. has struggled. I So, Adovino has more of a tendency to put runners on, but I don't think he has as much of a tendency to just have, like, get hit around. Like, Canely has been hit around. I understand that, but I think that when you're putting runners on in the playoffs, it's it's very, very dangerous. Um, and, and there's, You die you're, a thousand deaths when a relief pitcher comes in a ball game and walks someone in the playoffs. Oh, 100%. You lose, I'd say months off, I lose months off my life in like the eighth inning if someone's walking the leadoff hitter. When I'm talking about confidence though, and you're asking me like which guy is the most, that I have the most confidence, it's, I mean, we're talking about fractions of a percentage here. Yeah, you got to rank them. These guys are all. You got to answer the question. But I understand that. Not up and answer the question. My point, I just did. (laughs) But my point is, is that these guys are all that close. Like they're very close. I have confidence in every single one of these guys. And I have confidence well, in in Green. I was just going to say uh, Chad Green at the end of a game too, I, and I want him to be available. Do you rank Green ahead of Canley in confidence level? I mean, they're right there. So, is Cecil last? Oh, a thousand of these guys, yes, definitely. Uh, well, well, as far as war leaders, Cecil was the only one who even ranked close to these other guys. Cecil's last. Cecil's not in this group. Um, I, you you said his name, but I wasn't really acknowledging him when I'm talking about these guys. The 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 guys that you acknowledge are Chapman, Adovino, Green, and Canley. Those are the guys. And if Kane, unless Green is used in the first inning and then you're just, you know, something that your starter could have done, Green did, and now you can't use him anymore. Awesome. Um, who's your comeback player of the year? So two of them, I think there's, there's two guys, right? To me, um, Gary Sanchez with the production, the 34 home runs, is that what he finished with? Yankees he, catcher franchise think, record. I predicted 35, so I was off by one. Um, wanted him to get that one. You know, a little bit of an injury bug there. He probably would have gotten it. So you got to look at him because he had a horrendous 2018 uh, with, with pretty much everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for him. Uh, but the other guy is Canely. I think Canely's another uh, big guy that was, 
you know, someone, a lot of people wrote off at the end of last year. He was, you know, couldn't really figure it out in AAA. He, he had a weird year, put down the Red Bull, you know, manned up, uh, got a, uh, got a, got a Super Bowl for his boys and then went out and, and now is one of the, uh, you know, one of the dependable guys in the back. And I think it's so big because when you see what he can do against the left-handed bats, that changeup plays against righties and lefties, that's a huge deal. And almost like it allows you to do different things, I think, with your, uh, with your your playoff with your playoff roster because you don't have to you don't necessarily have to have a lefty on there just because he's a lefty because you do have a uh, Canley who can pitch the lefties effectively because of that changeup. I don't want to talk too much about this because we've spent time on this before, but um, Gary finished with seven pass balls but a minus two defensive run saved. Whereas the last two years when he had leading the league in pass balls, he was actually positive defensive run saved. This year. We know about the the framing was not kind to him. He didn't. He wasn't a good framing catcher, and that's why he lost um, value in defensive runs saved. I would say though, from watching him all year, he was a better defensive catcher this year than he was in the previous two years. So let me ask you a question: The Yankees have had problems with the umpires all year long. All year long, it's been an issue. They've been yelling at them, you know, pointing at them. Sometimes there's even contact, brim to brim. Sometimes there's that gets you there's, fine. There's there's bad things that are happening between the Yankees and the umpires. Some would say it's us versus the umpires. So now we're looking is at there a defensive. T-shirt? Is there a t-shirt for that? I think there is. So now we're looking at defensive uh, defensive analytics when we're speaking of the catchers and we're talking about frame rate. And we're also now including these guys that don't like us and that we're up against that have a very big influence on, on what that frame rate is for said Yankees catcher. Does that not come into play? I mean, you've seen the umpires this year, and now we're going to look at defensive uh, metrics. It's stealing that have to do strikes, with frame rate, framing is basically yeah. stealing strikes. A bo- right. Something that's well, a ball. It's also it's all yeah. It's the other way too. Mm-mm. It's not. It's not the other way. No. It's not. It's not a ball. It's not. It's not if the umpire calls a, a strike a ball. It's if the umpire calls a ball a strike. Okay, so it doesn't go the other way. No, I thought it did, no. but it doesn't. Mm. Which is uh, either way. I think maybe that's harder to quantify. I, I, I get. I don't why know. is it different? Why is it harder to quantify? I don't know. I think what we if learned they're, this they're year. Using the same, they're using the same data where the ball. I think goes what we plate, learned right? this year doesn't. is that uh, eye test might be the one thing that I still trust over over the defensive analytics. I still trust the eye test for that, but uh, I, I you might mean for lean. catchers. Yeah, for or, catchers or overall. I mean, overall, like wow. I don't know about overall. Definitely news. for catchers, but uh, I would say though, a lot of times for position players, the eye test matches up with the analytics. But this year, the analytics have not matched up with my eye test on Gary Sanchez, and then I question it. Well, again, the analytics have some. They have another. They have another influence, and it's the umpires. This is direct influence on what's happening. Joe West has a direct influence on on what uh, the metrics say about the frame rate for Gary Sanchez. Joe West. Joe West might be lean, he might be wor- he's worried about leaning on the guy falling on him and not getting up. And now he's he has to uh, he's influencing what his frame rate is. Yeah. Joe like West it. cannot umpire games in the current ballpark in Arlington because there's no dome on it. It's too hot. Maybe he it's can finally hot. get a game in Texas next year when they have a dome. Good for Joe West. All I'm right. sorry, but if that's a contingency, if that's if that's part of the reason you can't do it, you got to go. I, I probably you say it's not. I wonder though if they only if they don't put them. Although, is it really that much? Yeah, it might be. Actually, I'd be curious to find out 
if, how many, if they how many games is Joe West? You know what it how might be? Because there's younger umpires. The younger um, umpires might get the shittier weather games yeah, yeah, probably. than the older umpires. There, there's probably like a pecking order. I'm sure there is. Rookie of the year. So this one I'm excited about for a couple different reasons. Uh, but who's your rookie of the year on the team? Um, so if we're talking about rookies, then we're, we're looking at guys who qualify as rookies, right? Well, it depends on what uh, website you look at. <laughs> or what, what about MLB? The, how MLB qualifies rookies? MLB.com? The, no, the people that give the awards, right. the actual okay. award, you know, the people that give the so awards. So then my rookie of the year is not eligible for that. Although MLB.com lists him as a rookie. Which is crazy. Um, so I would go, I would say Mike Ford because the guy's been really good coming up. And he was one of the later Next Man Up editions. And uh, he's been he's very, very, very good. Actually, surprisingly, freaking beast at the plate. And I think there's a real decision to be made for the Yankees between him and Luke Voigt on the playoff roster. Luke Voigt, Luke, Voigt is, Luke Voigt is a freaking disaster right he's now. He's looked horrible. Luke Voigt, since returning from injury on Ju- uh, July 13th, 161 plate appearances, four home runs, a 315 weighted on base average, and a 95 WRC+. plus. That's below league average. Bad. Mike Ford in 162 plate appearances for the Yankees this year. So same pretty much number of plate appearances as Luke Voigt. 12 home runs, 375 weighted on base average, and 136 uh, WRC+. He's playing much better than Mike uh, than Luke Voigt at the moment. I know Luke Voigt had a great start to the season before his injury, and he was friggin' awesome for them last year. But right now, he's not a good player. And he doesn't bring you any value in the field. Neither does re- Mike Ford, really. They're both about equal in the field. They're negative defensive runs saved in the field. Um, they're slightly below average first baseman, but who's a better hitter right now? It's no question. Well, he's also a lefty, a lefty bat, so it gives you a little bit more of a, um, a look at the plate too. Yep. Whereas pinch Voigt hitting, pinch, fa- hit, pinch hitting situations could come in handy. Absolutely, and, and Voigt just kind of falls into another one of the right-handed bats that the Yankees have. I mean, that, that's where they're strongest. So um, that doesn't do anything for you. The fact that that, that uh, Ford is left, and you know, Encarnacion is uh, uh, didn't play a this very, weekend. It's a very big question. He's taking sim at bats. That's what's happening. He's he's he's. That's a wild card. In all of this. He claims he's healthy, but there's a mental hurdle that he has to overcome. Do you want to put him back in action in your most important game of the year? I have no problem with that because I think that Edwin Arcanacion is a veteran guy that knows how to prepare and get ready and and knows that he if he's good or not. That's so, like. So I think if he's healthy and, and he's there mentally, he's going to take the reps. Yep. It's not like he's not going to take swings and, and, and live at bats. Yeah, so I think that will be uh, that will be totally fine. So my question, so let's assume Encarnacion's on the roster. Who are you putting on the roster? You're not putting both Voigt and Ford on the roster. That's redundant. Who are you putting on it the depends roster? If we're, it depends if we're doing 12 or 13 position players because that's the biggest question. If you're taking – there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a potential that they take 13 position players – and only and uh, uh, only twelve pitchers, or if they took thirteen pitchers and only go with twelve position players, then you're looking at potentially none of them, neither one of them on there. No, and you're looking you're, at maybe. I'm sorry, one of them. It would be um, no, no. I had it written out. No, twelve the, uh, means twelve position players. Yeah, that means you have um, three three bench spots. Wade, Mabin. Oh, and and uh, Romine. You're you're not taking one of those guys. They're not. You're look, if, are they're going to take thirteen but, position players for especially? 
I think if, they should for a short series in the ALDS. And also, if Encarnacion's on the roster, and he's like, oh, kind of healthy, you know what I mean? Well, you have backups there, but the problem with that is that if he's not, I think he's got to sit out the ALCS um, if he comes out of it with an injury. So there's there's ramifications. I would for, carry for thirteen position him. players for the ALDS. It's a short series with two off days. I would too. That's exactly how I would go. But if you go, if you don't do that, and they actually end up taking another pitcher, if they wanted to take a lefty, let's say they wanted to take a guy like Tarpley, just for for conversation's sake. Then you're looking at LeMahieu and Encarnacion as playing first base. You're right, but if they take 13 position players, who is your last bench guy? Is it Voigt or Ford? I don't like the way Voigt's playing. I still like I, I said this weeks ago. I don't think he's fully healthy. I think that hernia is a problem still. I think that it's it's you know whether it's a um, a pain tolerance issue for him. He just doesn't look good at the plate. He looks like he's he's pulling off of pitches. Doesn't look the same the same guy. His confidence is at an all time low. He's wearing it all over him. They didn't even give him an at bat on Sunday. Which was I thought pretty telling, um, uh, you know. After he struggled uh, again on Saturday, I thought they were going to get. He's him at, so an, exposed on the inside pitch right now, right? So the thing is, is um, you know, we had this discussion last week about uh, me me talking about that I'm only looking at you know the past month really for some of these guys, and you yelled at me saying that no, how can you not look at the rest of the season? Well, I think it's a very clear case right here, and this is just another reason why I think you have to look at what these guys have done over such a long season. I understand that if they've put together a good season, uh, but a lot of it was on the beginning half, how can you possibly look at that and look at these numbers and and, and quantify something to, to make an argument for somebody who's been struggling so badly? And potentially there is an issue with an injury as well. So when I'm looking at these things, I have to look at the last month and see what these guys have done to affect my decisions if I'm Boone. And for this one, I'm doing that. And to me, like you said, we both talked about, they're relatively relatively redundant players in the field. One of them's a lefty, one of them's a righty, and one of them's going much better offensively. Yeah. I'm taking that guy. And, that's and one of them leads the league in pinch hit home runs. There you go. He, he's definitely shown that he can do it. So do you know the Yankees? I think the one Yankees, of them was a walk-off that I was at, at the day after our outing. I think the Yankees' best lineup right now has Ford at uh, first base and LeMahieu at third base. does not include Gio Rochella starting in, in the field. It doesn't include it starting in the lineup because Gio Rochella is another guy who's really struggled over the last month. Last uh, 57 plate appearances for Gio Rochella – 208 batting average, 70 WRC plus. Um, I'm still, I think Gio's the guy at third. I think LeMahieu, and for the reasons you just talked about, I want Mike Ford off the bench. I want Mike Ford being able to come in and give yourselves a righty-lefty option of somebody off the bench. And if Mike Ford's starting, then you lose that uh, later in the game. If I'm starting this game, I would rather have Urshela play third, uh, LeMahieu at first, and up the middle, I stay with, I know Didi's been struggling, but guess what? Glaber Torres has played a handful of games at short. For all these people that are talking, oh, they should leave Glaber. Uh, I'm sorry, they should leave Didi off of the roster and start Glaber at shortstop. It's not happening. Well, I know Didi. You'd be I know surprised Didi, by this. I listen. I know Didi has been struggling, but he's been the shortstop ever since he's come back in June. Glaber has been the second baseman. They're not going to just all of a sudden make that move. Where it's not. Do you realize that Glaber has played more innings at shortstop this year than he has second base? Yeah, but not since Didi came back. That's what I'm talking about. Which is total this season. I was surprised it's, by again, that. Again, it doesn't I was, matter. I was surprised. I looked it up, and I was surprised by it. April, May, June. So you got three months of him every and day. And sporadically over, over the last 
three months then, as well. Again, but not very often. You look at the Bucks. I was looking at it. It's it's, it's just sprinkled in um, a few times in a month. So quickly back to rookie of the year. My rookie of the year is Mike Talkman. Um, my favorite thing to compare him to. So Mike Talkman, 364 weighted on base average, 128 WRC plus. Bryce Harper, 364 weighted on base average, 124 WRC plus. It's fun. <laughs> like the same player this year. It's friggin' ridiculous. I mean, that's a guy that came out of absolutely nowhere, uh, according to us. Obviously, the Cashman and those guys saw him and saw something in him um, and liked the player, and they saw something that, that a lot of people different, so did not. But Showalter, it was, you know, it was funny. I don't know if you if you liked Showalter on the, I uh, did. the Yes broadcast. A lot of people yeah. he was pissing off, but I, I kind of like angry people. So, I mean, I don't necessarily quantify him as angry, but I think he goes, he's all over the place, and he... Uh, like I, I feel like he takes in everything. He's kind of like a Larry David of baseball. Like a baseball in the savant. sense that he yeah, he knows he knows a lot. And he he recognizes and, and identifies things like on a ridiculous level. And it all comes into his head. You know, he may, he takes mental notes. But he was talking about, well, the fact that he was also saying some ridiculous things that were annoying to me because he talks a lot. The man talks a lot. <laughs> but um I found a lot of it interesting. Some of the one of the things that he was talking about was all the analytics. And if everybody has them. Well, where's the differences? Why, why, who has a better advantage if all these numbers are available to everybody? Where's the difference maker? And when you're looking at that, you're looking at the people and how they use that data, right? It's how they analyze that data and what they do with it. And when you're looking at Mike Talkman and Gio Urshela and uh, Luke Voigt and these guys that, that have come over uh, and, and done well, that Cashman and his nerds have pulled off the scrap heap, essentially, Cameron Mabin. You know, you got to look at what they are doing with these numbers and, and be impressed because they obviously saw something. And I, I know it's not to the level of, of production that we've gotten because I don't think anybody could have seen to this level. But um, you got to give them a lot of credit for what they looking through the weeds and finding these guys. I think Mike Talkman has serious impact on what they do with the outfield going forward because he looks like a legitimate fourth outfielder. Yeah. Can play all outfield positions, play them all well. Can play great. And we know how that how important that guy's going to be. Great on this defense team. and not an automatic out. Was an automatic out in April. Well above average offensive player the rest of the season. So that becomes a weapon as your fourth outfielder going forward yeah. for next year. And right. I don't know if um, we'll probably do our GM episode again where we each play GM. But that could affect what they do with Clint Frazier in the offseason. could affect what they do with uh, Brett Gardner in the offseason. It's affected what they've done with Clint Frazier this season. Right. So uh, Mike Talkman is, has serious value for them going forward. Breakout star, I think it's, it's clear it's Gio Urshela. No one, no one saw that coming. Um, Andrew Hart goes down. Gio Urshela comes in. And on the season, hits 315 with 34 doubles, 21 homers, and a 133 WRC+. I just said he struggled over the last month. But he uh, he was in the running for the batting title before he got that calf injury. In um, was it a calf or, or a groin injury? Whatever he got in like late August on that West Coast trip, yeah, he was in the he wasn't going to qualify. He he was in the running for the batting title. Uh, like you, 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 we 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 saw the stories about how Toronto let him go, Cleveland let him go. He was always thought of as just a glove guy, and then this year he's been. Uh, a real force for the Yankees offensively clutch for the Yankees had a couple of uh, big uh, either game tying or game winning hits in the beginning of the season. Clear, clearly the breakout star, I think. Um, I mean, it's not, not close. Uh, 
that being said, there's a lot of guys that have exceeded expectations, but to the level that Gio Urshela did, um, you know, really questioning but, if Miguel Andujar now questioning if Andujar should be the third baseman next year. Oh, I I definitely think that he's not going to be a third baseman next year. Right. So, so. which also could affect what happens in left field. Um, the Chase Headley Award for worst offensive performer. Lowest exit velocity? Unfortunately, goes to Didi Gregorius. Come on down. Get your award, Sir Didi. Among he admits it, too. I, li- I like that he, uh, he's, he's... I've been bad. I've stunk. <laughs> Among qualifying Yankees, he has the lowest weighted on base average, WRC+, and war. War, it's a little misleading because he also missed a good portion of the season, but his on-base percentage is below 300. He's been a bad offensive player, and... I don't think he's going to be hitting in the middle. He should not be hitting in the middle of the lineup in the playoffs. They were batting Brett Gardner third over the weekend in Texas. I don't think Brett Gardner should be hitting third in the playoffs. So I don't know (laughs) if they have this fascination with putting a lefty between Stanton and Judge, but don't. Don't overthink it. Put your best players up first. I mean, you you could argue that that, uh, Brett Gardner is one of their best players. I'm not saying Brett Gardner needs to be hitting ninth, but don't bat up third. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I'm very interested to see how Boone does this. Does this? Uh, does this lineup? Um, it's it sucks that that Didi uh, is in this spot, but he hasn't been great. I still have confidence in him to be huge hit, in the playoffs. Hit him eighth, huge. Hit him eighth. I got no problem with that. Start yeah, him at yeah, shortstop. Yeah. Hit him eighth. We agree on this. We said this earlier. We've agreed on this before. I, you don't need to hit him at the top of the lineup. By any means. Could even even hit him ninth. He's an effective player. And he will be in the playoffs. Let's just see what happens. The Greg Bird Award for softest Yankee goes to Aaron Hicks. Boy, did Aaron Hicks have a lost season after signing a seven-year extension. Back injury in spring training. They said he'd be back for the Detroit series, which was the second series of the year. And he ended up being out until May 15th. Then, listen to this rundown, starting on August 3rd. Initial injury, Hicks was shut down for 7 to 10 days. August 12th. Hicks is still two weeks away from throwing, August 31st. After a month of sustaining the strain, Hicks is cleared to throw, September 8th. Hicks never throws, and despite Boone maintaining that the team MRI came back clean, Hicks goes outside the organization for a second opinion. September 11th, Dr. Uh, Ella Trotch <laughs> recommends two weeks uh, of rest for Hicks. So- I, think, I think you got to pronounce that E. Ella Trotchy? It's, yeah, it's much better. Okay, September 17th. Hello, Trotch. Hicks is cleared to begin a throwing program. September 22nd. Hicks is throwing from 90 feet, but is unlikely to return for this year. What happened with Aaron Hicks this year? He obviously felt something different than, than what the MRI machine was, uh, was telling them. Um, look, man, the guy's been a, a soft tissue injury waiting to happen since we've gotten him. Unfortunately, it's, it's so far the storyline. I think... Last year, we saw what he was uh, because he was able to play. And we were all excited about that. And it got him paid. And now uh, he's he took that deal, that eight-year that eight year deal, lower, what was seven, it, 10 million? Seven, a, seven for seven. Seven years, 70 million. It was 10 million a year. This is what it averaged out to. AAV, and, well worth the player. Exactly. And when you're looking at what he did, I think he was banking on the fact that his body was going to break down too. Um, and that he's <laughs> well. going to be... He's going to be a, a different type. But, you know, like 2018, when you see 137 games, you're like, okay, there's room for optimism here. Well, Maybe I'm optimistic for 2020. He likes even years. 
Look yeah. at these games played. Six, 2016, yeah. 123. 2017, 88. 2018, 137. 2019, 59. So I'm looking at like 135 games played next year. That being said, I don't like the fact that you've given an award uh, named after a guy who's still the softest team on the team, uh, a guy on the team. Well, he can't win it. Well, could why does, can Greg, should Greg Bird win the Greg Bird Softest Yankee Award? Yes, it's it's the it's his award until he's gone. So he's the reigning champ. He's the he's the leader in the clubhouse. He he has it. He's there's always something going on with his foot. There's a foot a bird. Bone I think they're gonna have to amputate out his, his foot. foot at this point. They should put a bionic foot on there. Is that legal? Something's got to give. I mean, let's let's see what happens. We don't have to call it a bionic foot. Does Greg Bird ever play in a major league game for the Yankees again? Oh. No, because he's been passed. I mean, he's no longer that guy. Where is he Nobody's... on the first base, first base depth chart next year? Like, Encarnacion's not going to be here, but Voight and Ford are here, and LeMahieu's still here, so Greg Bird is at best fourth, and I'm going to say they're going to get and do hard time at first base in spring training next year, yeah. which bumps uh, Greg Bird down to fifth. You're going to see Andujar over there if he's still on the team. You're going to see Andujar potentially uh, be a corner outfielder. Uh, left field, there's no right field spot open. But you're going to see him also DH as well. Like You're seeing that what Encarnacion's been doing. I think we're going to see a lot of Andujar if he's on the team uh, doing that next year. Greg Bird, I guess, has an opportunity to come back and try this again. I guess that that's still there. How many times um, are we going to do this? But we, we're also looking at, at Voight. Uh, who's who's a guy that had a huge resurgence has kind of fallen off, done the opposite of what he did last year. So now we're going into. I'm blaming it on injury. With some questions, I think so too. I think it is injury. I, I I do believe that 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 hernia is in such a bad spot for him. I don't think uh, Luke Voigt sucks. I think Luke Voigt is injured. So I rather have a healthy Mike Ford than an injured Luke Voigt. Okay, but we're talking about soft now and the Greg Bird potentially being on the team next year as a first baseman. It's I mean he's going to have to do a lot. And I don't even know what that means. Well, he'll he'll rake <laughs> he, in spring training. No, he won't. I don't even think he's going to do that anymore. He's just he doesn't even look like an athlete to he me. He started anymore. first I, I feel base. Like he's just he was the opening day first baseman this year. Yeah, that's fine. It's funny. It's, uh, it's weird. It's weird to think that the final to think that final award. It's I'm calling it the CC Sabathia Award for biggest lunatic. I'm giving it to okay. Brett Gardner. I know you say CC should win his own award. Like Greg Bird should win his own award, but this is CC's, CC's retiring. This it's is last year. Yeah, he CC, can give away. It's he's 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 giving an heir apparent. That's fine. CC had his moments this year, but Brett Gardner was far and away the biggest lunatic on the Yankees this year. Brett Gardner took it to a very different level. <laughs> CC is a lunatic in the way that like he looks like a crazy person. Like I I would not want to run into him when his when his eyes are the way he is during a fight. Like he's smiling at you. The guy who's smiling at you, who's also six seven, three plus, is not the guy you want to face up with because he's crazy. Yeah. And especially he's got the old man strength now. He's got a bunch of kids to deal with. Like there's not much sleep. Like there's things that are there that I can understand. That he's not drinking another, anymore, so he's looking to take edge. out his anger on somebody. Yeah, yeah. He's crazy, man. But Brett Gardner, he just took it to another level. Yeah. He, I mean, just doing weird stuff. And weird the stuff. whole bat on the dugout, um, yeah, he, he, he lost his mind. So I think that – Lost his mind you know, at the plate too. There was – he lost his mind at the plate. Maybe that's what he need, needed to cut it loose. Maybe this is what Brett Gardner needed to be, uh, you know, with the, with the bat and off the field shenanigans to let the, uh, let the offense fly. Age 35 season, he slugged 507 this year when his career slugging was 390 before this year. We all had him for dead. 
coming into this year? No. Did we have him for dead, or did we just have him for a fourth outfielder who's probably going to break down at some point this year? No. I, I mean, I know, I, I know the camp I was on was you're looking at a guy who's declining uh, at the end of the year again, breaking down, you know, move in a different direction. A lot of people were doing that. You could tell that the Yankees weren't, they were going to sign him. Like that, the writing was on the wall. Um, but I mean, I was all for going out and getting a, a, a different guy, you know, looking out, making a trade, looking to see what was available. Michael Brantley was available, which was had, had a great year, had a damn good year. Uh, so when you're looking at that, that type of thing, you know, Gardner has exceeded expectations in every way, not to mention, you see the clubhouse guy that he is. And, you know, not to say that I thought it was a, a bad thing to have him on the team, but him as being a starter, I mean, nobody could have seen what he's doing this year. It's been it's been un- unbelievable. Really tough decision I'll, in the offseason, w- though. Very, 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 very happily eat crow on this one. It's going to be a tough decision in the offseason, though, because of Talkman, like we just said. And your other three outfielders all either locked up to long-term contracts or not going anywhere, like Aaron Judge. I think Brett Gardner easily cemented another one-year contract. I it's I think Brian Cashman, though, has the balls to move on from him if he decides that's the route he wants to go. I think he does have it. I, I also think that I don't think he believes that. Nothing has sh- nothing is saying. Well, you look at a year. Now, you look at his season. What What's did? the aberration? It's this year. Well, I, yeah, but it's positive when you when you're going with an old guy and it's getting and it, and it's a positive thing. That's not one I'm throwing away. I, you, I think if you're this year decline, is as much of an aberration. Maybe. I'm not even talking about the home runs and the slung percentage. Games played, health. It was an aberration for him this year. Yeah. So are you banking Are you banking on him now at 36 next year? Oh, no. I don't think you can bank on him, but I still think he's going to get a contract and I think he'll be back for one year. I don't think you can bank on him as a guy uh, starting outfielder your entire season. But when you see what's happening with Aaron Hicks as the center fielder and you know that Gardner uh, just came off of basically a full season and he is who he is, like uh, I, I think he's... He's very much back in the clear, clear, uh, the clear path of getting another one-year deal. He just can't get injured in the playoffs, or else they're screwed. In center field, they're in big trouble. Yeah. All right. Although Tyler Wade can p- play center field, so we're not going to do mailbags this episode. We do have a few already locked and loaded. I'm going to save them for Thursday, but I also want to do uh, Twins mailbag questions. So I want everyone out there submit your mailbag questions for Thursday's episode about the ALDS, about the Twins. What are your questions there? Scott and I are going to break down that series. Hopefully by the time we record on Wednesday night, the roster will be announced. Things will be announced. The pitching rotation will be announced. I don't really feel like like guessing at it at that point. That's why I just like hope it's announced by then. Yeah, and I think we'll have a, a pretty good idea at least. Let's, let's hope it is announced. But, um, you know, there's we've thrown things out there. We've kind of gone over scenarios with 12 and 13 men and how that's going to look. And honestly, like the, the big difference – I think when you're looking at it, it's it's who that last bullpen guy is, and do you really want him entering a game at any moment? That's that's where I am. Mop-up duty when the Yankees are up by 10 runs. Maybe. That's that's just one of those things. I don't even trust it when we're up 10 runs. So um, we'll see, man. All right, so submit your questions and stay tuned for John Sterling, who is the play-by-play broadcaster for the Yankees and now the host of Pinstripes and Bright Lights, a Radio.com original podcast series. Scott talked to him for... Almost 40 minutes. Enjoy that, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Best is yet to come, and babe, won't that be fine? Youth. 
think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. I'm very excited to bring on our next guest, Mr. John Sterling, the voice of the New York Yankees. Mr. Sterling, thank you very much for taking some time and coming on the show. Well, it's my pleasure, and it'll be more of my pleasure if you call me John. Oh, I see. I feel like I need to have the Derek Jeter role where Mr. Tory. Um, but as you ask, I, I, I will. I will certainly. Uh, I will certainly do as you, um, as you request. So, John, uh, I know a lot of people obviously know who you are from the Yankees broadcast, the radio broadcasts. Um, but to kind of start off, I, I'd really like to, you know, get some more background from the beginning when John Sterling was, you know, really starting out and uh, and becoming a broadcaster and becoming, you know, who you are today. I had a very formal trip up the ladder. Um, I was fortunate enough to talk my way into a class at Columbia, Columbia General Studies, um, that was given at NBC. And it was given by the WNBC program director. Now, this is way back now, Scott. So um, a guy named uh, Steve White. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I had it in me. I knew I was going to be a broadcaster when I was 9 or 10 years old. And I listened to everything. Um, you know, music has always been as big an ally or friend of mine as sports. And so I listened to every disc jockey show and every newscaster and every sportscaster and all the games. And I had it all in my head, all in my mind. I had never doubted that I would be on the air. I mean, I never thought that I'd, I'd get to the Yankees, but I was going to be on the air. And... uh and at this class, it all came out. I mean, I knew it, but this was um, at least literal uh, instead of uh, fantasy, reality instead of fantasy. And in the class, um, I don't want this to sound um, like I'm bragging, but I mean, I was e easily, I mean, I was Michael Jordan in that class. And um, uh, Steve White gave me an A+. Plus. And uh, I might add, it's the only A I ever got in school. <laughs> My kids get a lot of A's. I didn't get any. And um, he said, you're good enough to go out. Oh, how do you go out? Well, you make up a tape. And I made up a tape, and I landed a job in a small station. Well, obviously small. It was a tiny town, Wellsville, New York, way up near uh, maybe, no, 80 miles south of Buffalo. And, um, and I worked in small stations in uh, Watertown, Wellsville, Watertown, Chambersburg, PA, and Patchogue. And I got my first uh, market in Providence in just a couple of years. I was doing a morning um, rock show. And, um, and that led to, you know, I'm I'm taking too long. That led to, finally led to Baltimore. I had one stop in between. I did a summer at WPAT. I was really young. And I filled in for all the announcers who were on vacation. And it was a great summer. I mean, I was making, you know, very good money after a minimum, but it was pretty good in those days. And um, and I landed this talk show in Baltimore, and um, I was there for a long time on radio, on television. And I put so I had a general talk show, but I put so much sports into it that I started getting a sports rep, and I started doing. Uh, games, you know, I fill in on in basketball and and football sure. uh, with the Bullets and the Colts, and um, 
And that led to uh, New York, and I had a, a big-time sports talk show at WMCA in New York, and I was doing so many games. I was doing Morgan State football out of Baltimore, and um, the the first and only year of the WHA New York Raiders, and that led to the Nets and Islanders, and um, <clears throat> and uh, I had you know a great tour in New York, and uh, I went from there to um, Enterprise Radio, which only lasted about nine months. It was so much fun. A hundred young guys and gals up in Connecticut, and boy, did we party. Did we have good times? And um, uh, when that went down in financial, I was also doing the Washington Bullets on TV that year. And when anyway, when that went down in financial uh, flames, I got, I've been lucky. I've been so fortunate all my career. And all of my best friends got jobs in Atlanta. Is that crazy? Yeah. Well, the reason they did is that Bob Wessler, who was the president of CBS, and like all CBS presidents and network presidents, they all get fired. And um, he went down to Atlanta as the number two man to Ted Turner, who really needed the help because his empire was burgeoning. Uh, they they were giving birth to CNN and, you know, everything that else had followed, and he owned the Hawks and the Braves. And Wessler hired Joe Torrey. I didn't hire him, but he, he got Joe Torrey the job as manager of the Braves. And he got Kevin Lockery, who was one of my best friends, the job as coach of the Hawks. And he hired another guy who was my quote-unquote best friend. He didn't hire him. But uh, Mike Faraday is the guy's name, and he got the job as the general manager of WSB, AM, and FM. So um, Enterprise was going down in flames, and um, in speaking to Mike, he said, I'd love you to do a talk show for me, a sports talk show. And I said, well, I'm not going without games. And Wessler helped get me the the Hawks games. It's kind of a, at the beginning a backup to Skip Carey, who didn't travel. So when there was a game on the road, that was mine. And then I sat with him. I, I broadcast with him in the home games. And a year later, he left. And um, I got the Hawks and the Braves. And that led in 1989, actually the, the fall of 88, to the Yankees. Have I given you enough? My goodness. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a, a 100 questions now in between that, too. Now, I think it's spurred on some new things. One, one you mentioned this, this, uh, this very short-lived uh, broadcasting company in Connecticut and how everybody was partying and it only lasted nine months because of, I guess, a financial burden. Now, was this because of, uh, you know, all the partying with the, with everybody or what was the, what was the story there? Why was it so oh, no. fun? No, they had, um, they had talk shows from seven in the evening until, until eight in the morning, which would be five to eight on the West coast in the morning. Mm hmm so, um, and, and I think they did pretty well. I did the lead show at seven and, um, but they also carried two five minute sportcasts and believe me, they had great talent and everything sounded great on the air, but who's going to buy two five minute sportcasts? What, what local station is going to carry two five minute sportcasts? So they spent so much money and they didn't have enough in reserve. And that's why it went down in, in flames. And um, it was the precursor to WFAN and all the sports talk stations 
In other words, if they had hung on or if they had more money or if they didn't invest so much money and talent in doing these two five-minute sportcasts, I mean, the sportcasts were great. The guys were great, but um, no one carried them. And um, if they had waited X number of years, they would have been, a, I think, a big success, national sports talk. There have been a lot of them since then, uh, but that was enterprise. And um, people you know were there. Kevin Harlan was there. Um, Sean McDonough was there. Ed Coleman was there. And um, probably others, but I can't remember them all. But anyway, it was, uh, it was, it was a wonderful time for the short time we were there. Now, I think a lot of people don't realize that you've had such diversity in the, in your broadcasting background. You, you mentioned in Baltimore when you're, uh, you know, covering the the bullets, and then Morgan State, which I didn't I did not realize. Uh, Morgan State, you did that for a long time. Uh, my brother actually graduated. Eight from years. Morgan State. Yeah, that's uh. So yeah. I think I think people realize the the basketball. I think that's one thing that people, um, cool. you know, when I say people, I mean the general public, and I think maybe even the younger. The younger Yankees fans don't realize that, you know, when you started off, you were, you know, covering pretty much every sport. And, and the fact that you did have a, uh, a big background with the Nets and the Islanders and basketball. Um, how was that this past and year the, when you came? And the Hawks, too. Yeah, and the, well, going to Atlanta, the Hawks, yep. And, and um, how was that in uh, this past year in December? Kind of almost a full circle, right, with the, when you announced the Brooklyn Nets versus the Hawks? Yeah, they asked me to do a game, and uh, and they changed it so that it would be against the Hawks. Right. And um, because I've been uh, the Hawk, I've done every Hawk game for like eight years, and um, they they were so bright about it. Uh, the producer uh, Frank DeGrace, um, they lined up. Now Dominique does the color on the Hawk telecast, so he was there. And we uh, we really became friends. I mean, he loved my stuff, you know. He he would do something great, which he did every game. And I would say, Dominique is magnifique. And he loved it. So um, they had us on together on pregame. And lo and behold, in the middle of all this interview, they, they showed a shot of me interviewing Dominique in 1987 or 88, so many years, almost 30 years ago, or is 30 years ago. And it was just fun to see it. And, uh, yeah, I did that game, and I, I loved it. It was like old times. I played basketball all my life, okay. so I was very close to that sport. I, 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 even though I broadcast football and hockey and obviously baseball and basketball, but, you know, b- basketball is a very big thing in my life. And, um so that day was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it was like, you know, putting on a, a pair of comfortable old shoes. You know, I I, uh, I had no problem at all uh, broadcasting. I knew I wouldn't, by the way. But um, it, was, it was easy and fun. It was like going back in time. So you mentioned you're in Atlanta for... A uh, number of years, and Tori was also there at, uh, during with the Braves. Was there a relationship? Did a rapport start with you guys down in Atlanta, and then kind of lead up to? Well, we New had York known each other. There? Yeah, we had known each other a little bit, but we became friends in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And when the Yankees um, hired him in '96, she—that's uh, I think our favorite year. I, I'm including Susan, okay, because they didn't expect anything of the team. And the team just how had such grit 
and it just battled and battled and battled, and it went all the way to the championship and uh, the playoffs. Uh, gee, they were behind in every game, just about in the seventh inning or eighth inning, and would come back to win. And that was a very extra special year because um, here's a buddy of mine who was the manager of the Yankees, so it gave me uh, a chance to be, quote-unquote, on the inside. And, uh, and so our friendship um, blossomed, and um, you know Joe was there 12 years. He made the playoffs 12 years. And I would say more often than not, every night on the road, we'd go to dinner after the game. So it was it was great for me. Have you had a relationship similar to Tori with, uh, you know, did you get close to Girardi? Or was Tori by far the, the closest manager you've had? Oh, no, no, you can't. You know, it, it, Paul Newman once said of his movies with Robert Redford, mm-hmm. you can't you can't cast chemistry. Right. And so... I mean, I, Joe Girardi is a sweetheart. I mean, I'm very friendly with G- Girardi and Boone, but, I mean, it's not a friendship. And um, uh, I'm a very happy with how things have gone. They look, uh, I never thought I'd get the Yankee job. You know, I got the Yankee job without an audition. And and this is now my the end of my 31st year. So I've been, indeed, very fortunate. I mean, I've seen quotes about, with you know, from... Uh, from the boss himself saying that he wanted you to be the guy calling the uh, calling the game. So it was something that, that seemed like it was destined to happen. Well, I guess, you know, um, it didn't really work that way. First of all, I wasn't hired by George um, because the rights were owned when I got there by ABC. Right. And then it went to MSG and then to CBS. And CBS became Entercom, and that's where I am today. Um, but yes, in an elevator in, uh, in, uh, where were we in Fort Lauderdale? It seems like, <laughs> yeah, well, one day I get on the elevator and there's George and we're two of us are alone. And he said to me, as only George can, I always wanted you to do the Yankee games. I'm really happy you're here, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then a year or two later, something really great happened. Uh, do you want to hear all this? I want to hear everything, actually. Uh, as much as you can possibly tell me, I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I've told this story before uh, a couple of times, but one on Michael Kay's center stage. Yeah. Um, Steinberg, the Yankees were lousy when I got there. I mean, they were terrible. Right, I remember. And... Um, and 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 George and whoever the general manager was would get <laughs> beaten up in the newspapers all the time. So on a Sunday afternoon, uh, I remember that clearly. I I went on my high horse, and I said, you know, I don't understand why they're knocking George and whoever the GM was. I said, it's the players who aren't hitting, who aren't pitching. Why don't they knock the players? And well, maybe heard heard it or maybe heard about it. And a few nights later, we're in Milwaukee, and there's a rain delay. This is in the old ballpark, which was about as unglamorous as can be. And I'm walking around these these little levels where all these little private rooms are, but they weren't suites. No, they were barren. And George is sitting in one of them as I'm walking by. I'm just filling time. We had sent it back 
to uh, then WABC. They had talked people. And so I'm just walking around killing time. And George saw me and stopped me. And he said to me, John, I just want you to know, you'll always do the Yankee games. And if they try to hire anyone else, I'll veto it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was wonderful. That was a wonderful moment. So, yeah, I got along with George great. That's great. The um, You know, my earliest memories, just a, a little bit about when I started listening, um, I was I would listen to you and Michael Kay when you were on WABC 770 uh, on my little clock radio. I grew up in North Jersey, and we didn't have the luxury of cable television at that point. So unless the game was on WPIX and I was watching Scooter, I would be tuning into your broadcasts. And I think one of the most vivid memories of my childhood was uh, the Jim Abbott no-hitter in 93. Oh, my. And he's, yeah. I w- I've worn 25 over, over my, you know, my whole life because of Jim Abbott and his inspiration. And, you know, I know that you and, and uh, Michael Kay had, I think, four no-hitters in perfect, slash perfect games together uh, during, the, during that time span. Can you talk a little bit about those special moments? Well, they were extra special, certainly. Um, Abbott was the first one. Uh, he's the loveliest human being. And uh, it, it's just amazing how he was able to conquer what would be a disability for other people. And uh, here he is pitching a no-hitter. Can you imagine that? No, With one hand. Yep. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. But um, at that, uh, Scott, uh, a couple of years before when Abbott was with the Angels, Joe Torre was doing television for the Angels. Huh. And I asked him about Abbott, and he said, you know, after a couple of pitches, you'll forget that he doesn't have a hand. Yeah, he was so great, you know, at catching the ball, refitting the glove. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so when he pitched a no-hitter, that was the culmination of all of his efforts. Sure. And uh, it was it was, gee, and the Yankees had nothing going on then. And it was unbelievably thrilling. The yeah. the next no-hitter came in the 96 season, and um, it was thrown by Doc Gooden, who was trying to make a comeback with the Yankees, and it was against Seattle. And, um, it, you know, it was uh, uh, thrilling as it can get. That was 96. In 98, David Wells pitched a perfect game at the stadium, and so we had the chance to call it. And in 99, the next year, can you imagine this? Two perfect games in two years. and um, by, two, by two buddies. And David Cohn. Yeah, now David Cohn is pitching, and, you know, I'm uh, David Cohn and I are friends. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he would go back to the clubhouse, just a runway from the dugout right up to the clubhouse, you know, to have a cup of coffee and change his shirt or whatever, every half inning. And people said to him after the game, well, you know, did anyone mention it to you? I mean, did you know? He said, did I know? He said, I go back into the clubhouse. John and Michael were talking about the no-hitter from the third inning on. We were. You know, when you score a game, you see the first inning, one, two, three, and then it moves, the column moves to the second inning, and it goes one, two, three, and then it moves to the third inning, and it goes one, two, three. Well, you look at that, and you say, hey, this guy is pitching a perfect game. And so 
I don't believe in that adage of not mentioning it. Sure. When I grew up, Mel Allen would never mention it. It sounds so silly. Um, how can the guy upstairs have any effect on what's happening downstairs? And if you can, I want to make a lot more money. So um, um, that was the third, the fourth, excuse me. Can you imagine uh, being lucky enough to call four no-hitters in two perfect games? And um, that had happened to a really friend of mine, David Cohn. I was really, really happy and uh uh, and, uh, you know, things it, it, you take with you, you'll never forget. No, it's, uh, those are, those were definitely special. And uh, I think the, the calls are, are certainly iconic. Um, I will never forget the Jim Abbott, uh, no hitter. That one was, uh, entrenched in my brain from, from childhood. Um, John talking a little bit about this season and this current group of guys, you mentioned the 96 team and the grit that they had and that type of player do you see any parallels with the team that's up right now because it it does seem like there's a, a, a similar construction to what Brian Cashman has done to what Gene Stick Michael was doing back back then it's uh you know I see some some parallels in, in the type of player and the, the well, system that they're trying to draw I, I'd say this that Cashman has had as great a year as a GM could possibly yeah, have yeah. Yep. Um, I think I would compare this team more to the great 98 team that won 114 games. Okay. Um, it may not have had the great front-line pitching, and of course, Mariano, <laughs> but um, you can't um, overlook what this team has done. I mean, they're going to hit 300 home runs, right. and they've had the phenomenal injuries to their best players, and they, it hasn't stopped them at all. And they're running away with their division. I mean, they've clinched the division, and they've won 102 right now with four games to go. And um, what what Cashman has done, um, he's he's really the the biggest star. He has brought in uh, Mike Tockman and Cameron Mabin, and among uh, above all, Gio Urshela and uh, Mike Ford. And uh, they've all contributed so unbelievably, and it's a heck of a team. And if they have, if, and that's a big if, I never saw a bunch of young, physical, um, 20-year-old, early 30s get injured like this. Right. It's ridiculous. They, and baseball better look into it. Are they working out too much? Joe Girardi thought they took too many swings in the cage. Uh, it's unbelievable how many injuries. Anyway, if they ever get everyone back, um, their lineup is just top to bottom. Um, whether it's Voight or Shella, you know, DJ would switch between third and first. And Glaber Torres and, and Didi and Gary Sanchez behind the plate and Stanton and Gardner and Judge in the outfield. Um, you know, someone has to bat eighth, <laughs> someone has to bat ninth, but that's the kind of team, um, that they have. And it would be impressive, but it's even more impressive because so, uh, Stanton hasn't played all year right. and Duar hasn't played all year. Hicks has missed half the year. Judge missed over 50 games. Didi missed the first 57 games because of Tommy John. And it's, it's, um, it's been a very exciting year and a fun year for Susan and myself. Um, this team has kind of defied the odds. 
people around baseball, every time we travel to someplace, people will say, how have you done it? How have you possibly done it with all these injuries? And uh, so this has been a very special year, one of the more special years that I've had in my 31 because of the accomplishments amidst all the injuries. John, what is it behind the scenes? I don't think a lot of people know or have seen kind of the peek behind the curtain when you and Susan are preparing for a game. What goes into that on a, on a daily basis, the, the type of preparation you guys are doing for, for each game? Um, I've been preparing my whole life. <laughs> I've been, I've been, in, I'm, I've been in as entrenched in sports as it's humanly possible. So, uh, you know, Susan has to do the interviews. Uh, she interviews Boone and she interviews um, one other person on the leadoff spot. And I have a lot of reading in between all that, but I don't have to do anything. So we just sit there and write our lineups and talk back and forth. And, you know, Jack Maldonado is part of it. We have a little family. And um, it's very easy. I mean, because one game prepares you for the next game. Now, last night, the Yankees lost in 12 innings. They couldn't buy a run. And um, there were 20 pitchers used. Isn't that ridiculous? 20 pitchers were used in this game last yep. night. And that's why it took four hours. That all changes next year. They finally are going to change those September rules. And um, so last night's game prepares you for this game, right? Sure. And uh, and that's how it goes. So that that's how I do it. I mean, when I go home after a game... I have two screens in my bedroom and two big screens. And so one is on sports, usually with a sound off, and the other is on my movies and mysteries. And um, uh, so I see the highlights of all the games. And anyway, I, if you're involved, you know, Susan has a line, a good line. And her line is, you can't come late to baseball. You have to know who these players are when their names come up. And, um, and so this is something I've been living my whole life. So anyway, preparation is absolutely simple. One game prepares you for the next. I love it. And I think the, the best part for all of us is that it doesn't stop with the games now because you've started a new podcast, Pinstripes and Bright Lights. Uh, what was the inspiration or motivation for starting this, this, this show? And, you know, what can, what can fans expect from it? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm supposed to mention pinstripes and bright lights. Pinstripes and bright lights. Pinstripes and bright lights. Anyway, uh, a couple of people from Boston, no less, came to me. One guy came to me. His name is Brady Sadler. And his inspiration was that his dad had brought him to a game and they ran into me somewhere. And I stopped for a picture and an autograph and all that jazz, and he'd never forgotten it. And he said, I have this idea, blah, 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 about the podcast. And I don't have to do anything except the, except the content. And um, they, uh, he and this other guy produce it, and they do everything. And, um, you know, we hope it'll become a good thing. Now, I'm not an Internet kind of guy. So... Um, uh, I, I mean, I really don't understand all the podcasts that come on now. and But I know if you get a lot of uh, uh, people who are 
the, it wouldn't be tuning in. What would the what would the word be? Listen, there's listening. Anyway, yeah, listening. They listen. Okay, uh, then then you can sell it, and you know can make some money out of it. And so you know we'll we'll try it and see how it goes. Now I'll tell you what I did, which I liked. Um, they came to my place, I think last uh, November, and I just sat down in front of a mic, ad lib. Uh, which I do everything. You know, I live life by the seat of my pants. Well, I broadcast by the seat of my pants. Yes. And um, and I did stories on Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams and Willie Mays and um, uh, stories like that, long stories. And um, and they'll all be on this podcast. And if you haven't heard these stories, they're really good stories. Um, DiMaggio who missed 65 games at the beginning of the year in 1949, Stengel's first year. And um, I'm not going to do the whole story, but one day in June, he got out of bed. He had a bad heel. He could. He had to wear a carpet slipper. He, he couldn't put any pressure. He couldn't stand, put any pressure on his heel. And so one day he got out of bed and he stepped down and there was no pain. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> And he walked around his suite, and there was no pain. So he called up the Yankees and told them, I need batting practice pitcher and kids to shag. And he hit until his hands <laughs> bled. <laughs> and, and anyway, he went up to Boston. It was a great weekend. And he did this after missing 65 games. And uh, different baseball was really different then. And the players were tougher. They had one-year contracts. They had to play. They didn't get injured, yada, 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 yada. And the Ted Williams story, he got in the batter's box in a doubleheader in the last day of the year in Philadelphia. Now, if he hadn't played, his batting average was like 3996, and it would have been, um, it would have been a 400 batting average, and he could have sat down on that, and he wouldn't do it. He wanted to play. He wanted to earn it. And, uh, and he got in the batter's box, and the catcher of the A's, it was a fellow named Frankie Hayes, and Hayes said to him, um, Ted, you know, we're all for you. We're all rooting for you. He said, but we got we to gotta pitch you straight. He said, uh, Mr. Mack, you know, Connie Mack, the great Philadelphia manager, he said, Mr. Mack told us if we didn't, he'd run us out of baseball. And so I have that story and the Willie Mays story. And and uh, I think that anyone who listens who, who likes the sport will love the stories. Well, I, I can, I, I'm sure I speak for others that, you know, we're looking forward to listening to many of these stories. I think, um, you know, a lot of Yankees fans could, like we've seen on the S Network, you know, you're reading the dictionary or the phone book. Uh, we, we, could, uh, we could listen to you for hours. So I appreciate you, you know, taking the time and, and getting those stories uh, on uh, recording so that we can so that we can hear them. That's uh, I, I have w- one more question for you before we wrap up, and it's I think it's a question about these, or really just a a theory that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Um, you mentioned the Yankees' injuries, and I'm sure you have opinions about why this is happening and such. But one thing I can't get past, and my my co-host on the show Andrew can't get past this, we're seeing all these pictures um, of uh, the Yankees on the on on airplanes traveling from ballpark to ballpark. And it just, it seems like they're, they're not on large planes 
It seems like they don't have enough leg room. We're seeing, you know, pictures of Araldus Chapman's legs up in the, uh, on a seat in front of him. John, why don't they have pods or, or longer, bigger areas so that the, these professional athletes can, you know, get the rest that they need and stretch out? They're the New York Yankees. I never understood that. Well, <clears throat> we used to travel on larger planes, but the players wanted these, this specific plane with card tables and all, so they enjoy it. Hmm. Uh, I'd much rather be on a bigger plane. I used to be on a plane where I'd have three seats, and now everybody has a seat, and you got to be in your seat. And it's it's all it, it is crowded. I don't know about their. I don't think that has anything to do with their injuries, but um, but I don't know why there are so many injuries to all these really healthy people. You know, they have nutritionists, and they have they have <laughs> sleep people, and they have all this stuff. And all they do is get injured. So I, I think baseball has to look into why and to try to stop it, you know, to uh, keep these players on the field. The fans are paying their money to see the players. So, But uh, about the plane, you know, I have my own seat way back, and so I, I'm very comfortable. Well, that's <laughs> so, good. <laughs> but I, I think that's it. They, the players wanted this plane. This is like they they lobbied for this wow, kind of that's plane. that's interesting. Yeah. 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 When you see the pictures, you'd think that these guys deserve some pods so they can stretch out and, you know, get those. So no more, no more cramping up soft tissue injuries. But uh, John, thank you very much. Really do appreciate it. If everybody obviously listened to, um, to John and Susan uh, calling the games and you can now listen to John uh, go download pinstripes and bright lights, which is a new podcast where uh, he's going to be telling all sorts of stories about baseball and and, uh, everything. It really doesn't matter what he's telling stories about. I think we just want to listen to it. So (laughs) John, thanks again for taking the time and, um, you know, I think to end this to end this season perfectly, it would be seeing you and Michael Kay as a master uh, of ceremonies for the ticker tape parade and the key to the city ceremony. I think that would be a, a perfect ending for the season. Well, I would love it. And um, Scott, I want to thank you very much and thank you for all the the time and the publicity and um, and thanks. So when you come to the stadium again during the playoffs, come say hello. OK, I sure will. All right. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.